Hey, I'm Aaron Jackson, the youth minister here at Connection, and I am excited to bring God's word to you today. Uh, so my wife Katie and I just watched Hamilton for the first time. It's now available on Disney+, and let me tell you, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was great. I would encourage you to watch it as well. Um, going into it, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, I knew it was about Alexander Hamilton and the Founding Fathers, but that was like the complete extent of my knowledge. And honestly, I knew very little about Alexander Hamilton and the Founding Fathers, to be honest with you. Uh, but when I was watching it, it was so cool getting to see the history. It was so cool getting to see these people come to life. And, and I was not ready for some of the songs and, and the casting and all that stuff, but I was pleasantly surprised and enjoyed it so much. But one of my favorite things about Hamilton is what it made me do next. I know during it and after, I was on my phone looking online about some of this history. It made me want to go back into the history and look more into it and see what it was about and see how true some of it was, see if some of the stuff was maybe a bigger deal than it really was. But it was really cool going to do that. And to me, that's what this message series has done. This series where we're studying through the minor prophets. It's given me a chance to go back and look at some of the words of these prophets. And, and as Brian said, they're not called minor prophets because they're not important. That's not why they're called that. They're also not called minor because the third, sixth, and seventh notes in the scale were dropped. That was, that was a joke, by the way, for all my music geeks out there and the band nerds like me. So that was for you. Uh, they're called minor because they're just shorter. That's the only reason. They're shorter books. They're shorter poetry, all that stuff. But Zephaniah is where we are going to be today. It's one of the latter books. It's only a few before Matthew. It's one of the last books of the Old Testament. And it's only three chapters long, so it's pretty short. It can very, very easily, you could just skim right past it and never read it. But it's been really cool studying this again and going back and looking at what it says. And I hope you can find some great wisdom out of it. That even though this was written, you know, 2,500 years ago, it's still applicable today. So give a little backstory about Zephaniah as you are, as you're scrolling to there, as you're sliding to there, as you're turning in your Bibles to Zephaniah. If you need to use a table of contents, that's totally fine. But uh, Zephaniah was written about 400, a little over 400 years before Jesus. So this is, gives you a little bit of an, an idea about the time frame. It was written about the same time as Jeremiah. Uh, and it was written during a time where the kingdom of Judah actually had a good king. So just to give a small history, we don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but there were two kingdoms in Israel. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and uh, this was the southern kingdom. And this was written during the time of the king of Josiah, the reign of King Josiah. And I'm so excited that I get to talk with you about Josiah because he's one of my favorite kings that's talked about in the Old Testament, and it's the name of my son. So it's really cool to get to tell you his story a little bit as we're diving in to see what Zephaniah has to tell us today. But King Josiah took over the kingdom at eight years old. Not 18, not 80, eight. So my son Josiah will be four here in a couple months, which means I guess he'll be running for president in four years. I mean, I would probably vote for him, but you know, this is, that gives you an idea of how young this guy is when he becomes king. And the kingdom, the, the place of Judah was so oh, far away from God, they didn't even have God's word anywhere. They were so far away that 
They didn't even know anything about God's word. It was nowhere to be found. And one day, Josiah was cleaning out the temple because it was just in ruins, trying to just fix things. And they found a scroll of God's word. And as Josiah read it, it broke his heart that they had gotten so far away from God. And he started a great revival amongst all of Judah and got rid of all of the pagan worshipers, all of the shrines. He destroyed them. He got rid of their priests. He did all this stuff. And he brought great reform to the kingdom. And it was a wonderful time. So this is the time where we are. This is where Zephaniah is. And cool story about this is Zephaniah and Josiah were actually cousins. They both had the same great-grandfather who was King Hezekiah, the last good king before Josiah. So it just gives you an idea. We got, some, we got a good prophet. We got a good king. So hopefully we get some good words from Zephaniah about the people. Whenever we read through Zephaniah, we see two main themes. The first one is of judgment, and the second theme is of hope. So throughout this, the first two-thirds or so of the book is about judgment, and the last part is about hope. So whenever you read the first chapter and a little bit into chapter 2, we see that God is bringing judgment against Judah. Now, not all judgment is bad. There is good judgment. There's good judges. There's rightful things. But this is kind of the bad one. They've gotten away from God. They've done a lot of bad stuff. They've done a lot of evil things. And God said, hey, I'm kind of fed up with it. You've gotten so far away from me. But the, the thing you see here, there's a moment where it talks about like the remnants of Baal, I will get rid of. Baal was a god, a pagan god of that time that people worshipped. You can tell that Josiah had some lasting effects because there's just remnants of Baal. Now, there's only a little bit. But what we see through all of this is that Josiah's reformation, his restoration, his whatever you want to call it, to try and get the people back, his revival, was actually, unfortunately, probably pretty shallow. Because what we what we found out in, in my life, what we probably all know, is that when our hearts aren't changed, when our hearts remain unchanged, outward improvements just don't last. So even though Josiah had great intentions, the people's hearts were never truly changed. And, and Zephaniah saw that, and he proclaimed this judgment on the people. So then we keep reading, and we read the rest of chapter 2, and in that we see that God has a judgment that's a, a upon the surrounding nations. If you read through your quick headers, you'll see Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria. These are some of the surrounding nations that God is proclaiming judgment on because ultimately, these were the people that helped stray God's people away from him. They're the ones that brought in the pagan worship. They're the ones that brought in the idols. They're the ones that did all of these things that pulled his people away from him. So they are also facing God's judgment. Whenever we continue reading and we see the beginning of chapter 3, we see our third area of God's judgment, and it's actually against Judah again. So first we have Judah, then it's our nations, and then Judah again. You know it's bad when someone's proclaiming judgment on you. Then they talk about other people, and then they come back to you again. It's like, oh, and another thing, I almost forgot. God didn't almost forget. But right now he's talking specifically to the leaders of Judah, the priests, He's actually not talking to the king because the king was a good king. King Josiah was a great king. But the princes, king's son, Josiah's sons, they were evil, and they were the next in line. And what we see, if we continue reading the history of these kings and the history of, history of Judah and Chronicles and Kings, we see that they did continue to stray from God. And eventually, they were delivered into the hands of Babylon. 
and they were no longer a people anymore. And it's because they had done it. They had strayed from God, and this was the judgment God had for them. But there's something very important we need to know about God's judgment here. It was not for destruction. It was actually for purification. This judgment, this wrath God had wasn't because he just wanted to get rid of everyone. He just wanted to kill everyone. He just wanted to start over. He didn't want those people to be his people anymore. It was because he was trying to purify them. He was trying to make them clean again, getting rid of the pride in their attitudes. When you read Zephaniah, you see the word pride and humility thrown throughout there a lot, that we need to be people that are humble and not proud and getting rid of the proud. And it was all for purification. So that's kind of our, our, the first part of Zephaniah. But, but we want to focus today, what I really want to focus on is that last third of Zephaniah. Because the truth is 2020 has been really hard. Like you don't, we don't have to sugarcoat it. We don't, I don't have to go into detail about the difficulties that 2020 has brought. It's been so challenging for so many people. And we've all had different challenges from this year. But what happens is it seems like it seems like sometimes there's no hope. It seems like sometimes things are hopeless. It seems like things have never been this bad before. But let me tell you, things have been this bad before. Maybe not exactly this bad, but in some cases things have been much worse. In Zephaniah's time, they, didn't, they wouldn't even talk about God. They were so far removed from God. He wasn't even anything to do with their lives. So things have been bad. We just know about it now. With the invention of social media, we know what's happening on the other side of the world live. We can know what's happening in space live right now as we're looking at things and watching things online, on social media, on the news. So now we just know about all the bad stuff. It's not that it wasn't there. It's not that things are so much worse. It's just that we know all about it now. So it seems so devastating, so hopeless. But we can find hope during these difficult times. And we can find hope. I feel like Zephaniah talks about three specific things that we need to focus on to find hope. The first thing that we need to focus on is God's power. If we look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. God is our king. Now, it's hard for us to really understand kings truly, what kings actually meant, because we don't have a king. We have a president, right, of our nation. And even though some people might feel like the president thinks they're king sometimes, they're not a king. They don't just say things and everyone has to follow them. There is, we have checks and balances, and that's the way our government works. But kings are much different than that. And we don't have a great idea of them, but Zephaniah was living in a time when there was a king, and kings were very important. But the big part about kings that we miss sometimes is that kings were warriors. Kings led their army into battle. A lot of times we like to think of a king just sitting on a throne, eating some grapes, having his feet massaged. But the good kings were the ones that were on the battle lines, at the front of the battle lines, charging to battle. And that is the king we have. That is the power that we have in God. God has that power because God is our king. And we can't forget about that hope that we have. What I love is the fact that he focuses on fear here and how we don't have to have any fear anymore because of God's power. Because God is our king, 
We don't have to fear any harm. A lot of times I've realized we fear, it's when we fail to remember that God is with us. We fail to remember that God is our king, and that's when we fear. That's whenever we don't have hope, and that's when we're scared the most. You know, we're, we're looking online we're all right now, and 2020 is so rough. I just want to imagine what it'll be like in 2040. This meme is a great example of what 2040 will look like. You know, they have to highlight all the things that were important in 2020, and, you know, the whole thing is highlighted. Because everything is so, there's been so much going on, there, and it seems like so much negative and so much pain and so much struggle and so much awfulness going on right now. It's, it's very easy to have fear. It's very easy to not have hope. So we need to be resting and focusing on God's power during this time, the fact that he is our king. The second thing we need to be focusing on to find hope is God's deliverance. He's our savior. We read back in chapter 3, verse 16. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. There's fear again. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you. He is mighty to save. We have a God who saves. We have a God who delivers us. I'm a big hockey fan. I played goalie for many years. My knees will tell you that story to you because when I walk around, you can hear them creaking and popping. But I loved hockey, and I know that, I know that a lot of people, whenever they were kids, they wanted to you know, hit that grand slam in the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs and full count, or they wanted to make that buzzer beater shot just so they could win the championship. Well, I always wanted to be the goalie that made the save, that turned the game around, that won us the Stanley Cup. Well, last year I was under such, so much, I, I can barely remember because I was so excited during all of that time, but last year the Blues won the Stanley Cup. It was such an exciting time for me and my family, and it was just wonderful experience during all that. But one of my favorite moments of that was in the third period of Game 7 when our goalie, Jordan Bennington, made what I like to call simply the save. He made a save that turned that game around. We were, we were winning at that point, but we were getting just beat down. They, were just, they weren't stopping. They were peppering him with shots. And he made a save that turned the momentum of that game. Later on that same shift, we score and go up three goals and end up winning that game four to one. And it all hinged on that save. The thing about God is the thing he saves us from is so much more valuable and so much better than putting a black puck in a net. The thing that he is delivering us from is so much more powerful. He is delivering us from eternity apart from him. We are being saved to being in a relationship with him for the rest of our lives. And that's what we're talking about. In fact, verse 16 said, on that day, well, what is that day? If we jump back a little bit to verse 9, we're going to see a little bit more about this day that Zephaniah is talking about, this day that we are being delivered to, that we are being saved to, that God who saves. Verse 9, Then will I purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. What I love about this is the fact that God is delivering us to a time where we will all be together. All right, so now I need to pull out my metaphorical soapbox. I'm going to set it here on the ground, and I'm going to stand on it. 
because i got to talk about something. So for all of you right here that are Christians, that call yourself a Christian, that have put their faith in Jesus, I'm talking to you. If you have not put Jesus as Lord of your life yet, you're off the hook right now, but I hope one day, maybe it's today you decide to put Jesus as Lord of your life. But for those of you that call yourselves Christians, we need to have a little talk. All right? There's going to be a day where we are all, all brothers and sisters, are united as one. We're all going to be shoulder to shoulder with everyone. All of us will be shoulder to shoulder. All of us that believe in Jesus will be shoulder to shoulder worshiping God together. Maybe in 2020, we should be living our lives like that. Maybe we should be practicing for that day right now. Maybe we shouldn't be waiting for that day, but living our life now, preparing for that day. So instead of just posting awful things on social media about people or sharing things that are hurtful for people, how about we realize that we're going to be shoulder to shoulder with these people one day, worshiping the same God together. So as Christians, we are called to be united. We are called to serve together to love together, to worship together, to do all these things together. So how about we start living that life now? That is the life that God is delivering us to, a life where we are united, where there is not any more proud, any more pride. There's humility. There's putting others first. There's thinking of others greater, and there's serving the one true God and worshiping the one true God together. God's power. We need to focus on that. God's deliverance, focus on that. The third thing we need to focus on that we can find hope in is God's love. Verse 17 says this in the latter half. It says, he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We have a God that loves us. We are his Beloved, and as I just said before, so are all the other people. These other people that we are putting down, these other people that we are just disagreeing with, that we feel like we hate them and they hate us, they are still God's beloved. We are all God's beloved. I love this imagery that we have a God who quiets us with his love, who rejoices over us with singing. Uh, I became a father for the first time in 2015 when my oldest was born. And I remember, uh, you know, they're when they're, I feel like they're kind of boring whenever they're babies. That's just me personally. Don't take offense to that. I say that about all kids, even my own. Um, they're kind of boring. Uh, but I remember they're just, they're so attached to their mom. You know, they just, they want mom. That's where the, the food source is for our kids. And, and I remember there was one day when our oldest, Naomi, I was rocking her. She was just screaming. And I wanted her to just stop. You know, I just wanted her to stop screaming, right? And I remember at one point, I'm sitting in her room rocking her, and I'm just singing, Jesus loves me with her. And I remember my, my wife walks in and asks if she can take her, you know, and I'm like, you know, I want to do this. I want her to know I love her. I want her to know this love that I have for her. And the crazy thing is that God loves her more than I do. God loves me more than my wife does love me. And he loves my wife more than I love her. God loves us so much more than those things. And the same way that I sing over my kids, Jesus loves me every night, God wants us to know that we are his beloved, that he loves us so much more than anything. And so that gives me hope. It gives me hope because I know that ultimately, no matter what the world says about me, 
no matter what people online say about me, no matter what my family says about me, God loves me and I am his beloved. So we need to be focusing on these things during our difficult times. This is the hope we can have. We can have our hope in God's power and God's deliverance and God's love. I want to close with a verse from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The Apostle Peter writes this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a hope that is living. We aren't putting our hope in a headstone or in a graveyard, in a cemetery. We're not putting our hope in something that is not alive anymore. We are putting our hope in something that is alive and that is active, that is powerful, that saves. We are putting our hope in something that is always loving. And so my takeaway that I get from Zephaniah that I hope you can is that we can have hope even in difficult times, even in 2020 when it seems like there's no hope, when we're never going to get through this, we can have hope because we have a God who is more powerful than all of these things. We have a God that will deliver us from all of the troubles we're dealing with, and we have a God who loves us more than anything. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that your word gives me confidence. I'm so glad that we have a prophet like Zephaniah who gives us great words of wisdom. And even though you are a just God and you do put down judgments, it's to purify us and it's to show us your love and your power and your grace. And I pray that all of us can accept that today, that we can accept that for the rest of our lives, that we can have hope in you, a living hope. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.